0: Hello, and welcome to the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Combs, and today on the show, we are talking to Terabeth Leach. Terabeth is an author and a pastor, and today on the show, we're talking about her upcoming book, Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness, which is available right now for pre-order on Amazon. It releases on February the 16th, and I'm really excited to share with you this interview with Terabeth, so let's jump right in to today's episode of the Churchology Podcast. All right, well, today on the show, we are excited to have Terabeth Leach with us today. Terabeth, how are you?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here.
0: That's awesome. That's great. Terabeth, you are about to release a book called Radiant Church. And in your book, you, you talk about how this is actually a crisis moment. For the church yeah. I would love to hear you unpack what what that crisis moment looks like what does it look like the moment that we're in as the church
1: yeah if I were to put it in one word it would be exposed hmm. and so this moment um, that we have reached is is not anything new these this is decades of the church participating in systems uh, that have brought us to kind of a eroded or decaying witness. Hmm. And so it's always, in, in many ways, we've been participating in these systems for, for a long time, but it, we've reached this, this climax or this point where it's been exposed. And people are taking notice. Uh, people are leaving the church. Uh, people are looking at Christians and saying, wow, uh, is this who you are? Is this what you're all about? And this witness uh, that Jesus calls us to, this radiant, beautiful, vibrant, um, bright witness, Jesus calls us the light of the world. Uh, I contend that it's been pretty dimly lit these days. Hmm.
0: And so what you're talking about is is the public witness of the church. The public witness. And and sometimes when you talk about this with, with Christians, that that's even a new concept um, yeah. or something that, that we don't tend to think about a lot. Can you unpack that? What is the public witness of the church and why does it matter?
1: Yeah, it matters. Uh, so much is at stake when it comes to the public witness of the church. We are called to be a radiant people. It's not just we are called to be radiant individuals. hmm but how we live our lives together, how we do life together, um, people are watching us. They're watching us when we are divided, when we're caught up or wrapped up um, with colluding with power. Uh, They take notice when we are um, looking a lot like some of the decaying and evil and broken systems of the world. And when we're caught up in sex scandals or um, oppressive activities, whatever it might be, the world takes notice. And uh, those, this public witness that we are called to live into is to be a, not just a radiant, bright, but a countercultural, um, loving community. That lives in such a way that the way that we are living is attractive to the world, that the world might even stop in their tracks and say, there's something different about those people. And that our witness, that is the way that we are living um, in our communities, in our workplaces, uh, the ways that we gather, the ways that we love one another, the ways that we love others, the things that we say about others, the way that we talk about the world, the way that we talk about, quote unquote, those people when we do it in the way of Jesus, in the way of love, it ought to be attractive and it is attractive that others would say, my goodness, come and see. There's something so beautiful and so stunning about these people. I often tell a story about a time when I was walking uh, in upstate New York when I was a pastor up there and I was walking through just these beautiful hill mountains and I passed up this house that looked like something straight from a Thomas Kincaid painting. It was just a breathtaking cottage. The smoke was billowing up into the sky. It had just these beautiful, warm, glowing lights coming from the inside. The backdrop, it was just the sun was setting. And there are all of these beautiful hues of of oranges and, and purples and yellows. And as I walked by, I heard a commotion coming from the house. And it was a joyful commotion. It was people talking. It was people that were so excited to be together. I could hear dishes clinging. And when I walked, I, I just kind of turned my head and I saw in the window a f- large family gathered around a table. And you could tell they were so happy to be together. It looked like something straight from like a JCPenney catalog. This mm-hmm. family gathered around the table and they were, they were breaking bread together. You could tell that they were catching up on their day. And I was um, a newlywed and I didn't have kids yet. And I frankly wasn't sure if I wanted to have kids. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a mom. Uh, But when I looked at that window, I thought, okay, if if that's what family can be like, I wanna be a part of something like that someday. And in the same way, you think about the gathered church, the people of God in Christ. I often wonder when they peek in our windows, when they take a look at how the church is behaving, do they say, wow, if that's what Jesus is like, if that's what the church is like, then I want to be a part of that. Or do they see this family embroiled in controversy? Do they see this family that is is colluding with, with evil systems and powers of this world? And do they say, yeah, I'm not so interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so this witness that that we are called to live is to be a bright witness, to be attractive to the world, that by the ways that we are living, that we would, shine the light of Jesus and others would want to come and see for themselves.
0: Yeah. And so you talk about in the book, you talk about some, some different stories that the church can find itself rooted in. And uh, I'd love to walk through those and, and, and ask you a couple of questions about them. The first one that you talk about is individualism.
1: Yeah.
0: And what's it look like when our, when our faith is, is rooted in that story of individualism, our own preferences, needs, desires, what's that look like?
1: Yeah, you know, the gospel that was shared to me in my youth was was a good one. And, you know, Jesus got a hold of my life um, through the gospel presentation that I heard. And also, it formed me in a very particular way in believing that my faith was about me, that it was about my personal faith about me having a singular path to heaven and um, and nothing else. It was this vertical relationship, which thank God for this vertical relationship that we have been given, that God's grace has been poured out of us, that I do have a relationship with God, that I hear from God, that I walk with God. But it has, um, I think, devastating impacts when we stop there, Hmm. when we see our faith about us. Because actually, this faith that I've been born into is I've been born into a people of God. Peter talks about this when he says, you were once not a people, but now you are. He doesn't say you were once not an individual Christian, but now you are. But he says, once you were not a people, but now you're a people. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. And in fact, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's talking in a plural sense that we as a people of God in Christ, not just an individual, but the people of God in Christ are are God's radiant light people. And so what ends up happening is when we make our faith very much about us, well, then we do exactly that. We make it about me, myself, and I. And we see this in churches when when it blends with consumerism and people say, well, I'm church shopping, Mm -hmm. um, or that church is just not doing it for me. Um, or we believe in, you know, the gospel of, um, I got this, I can do this. I, I don't need your help. I am strong. Um, I'm fine. Um, every man for himself. Everyone should be able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Um, I'm good. Uh, and then we also get, we see, uh, Christians, uh, who maybe, and I know this is COVID, but pre-COVID, um, they'd say, I don't, I don't need church. I just need my Bible and my iPod, and I can just um, pastor surf, listen to whatever podcast I want to listen to, and I'm good. Uh, and I, I, I wonder if it's actually uh, possible to even be just an individual Christian, if we can be the Christian without the body of Christ. Uh, we've been born into a family and into a people. We were once not a people, now we are.
0: Yeah, I wonder what it would look like because you mentioned we are in the days of COVID when we're recording this. I wonder what it looks like moving forward when a lot of churches, still probably the majority, are streaming. um, Very few are meeting in person, or it's and if they are, it's definitely not what it what it was pre-COVID. So, what's it look like moving forward when when Church today a lot of times looks like something you can watch online. If you, if it's not appealing, find another one. It might not even be in your state. Uh, what, what's a way to move forward um, so that we can get around this idea that church is community, not individual?
1: Yeah, I'm profoundly concerned about this because I know that there's been so much conversation Uh, about this digital space and so many are predicting and saying, you know, the new front door is this digital space and post-COVID people are not going to come back to church. They're going to be online. So my goodness, churches, we really need to ramp it up. And I am certainly a part of a church that is incredibly innovative in the digital space. And I'm so, so grateful for the people that we are able to reach because of that. But I don't want it to be the ultimate goal. If it's a means by which we can reach people, that's great. And so I have, I have great concerns about those who who saw the Sunday morning gathering as a central place for them, for their faith development, and for their formation, and now they've been watching online, which is great. Thank goodness for technology. Uh, during during this the season of COVID that we are in, this this long winter that we are in, but. I hope that when we are able to gather again, that people wouldn't say, well, this is so much easier to be in my pajamas. Because for me, gathering is about being surrounded by the great saints of the church, um, part of an intergenerational community. There are some Sundays where I come even as a pastor and I'm too weary to believe or to have faith. And I need someone else to have that faith for me. I need someone to come alongside of me and lay hands on me and pray for me. And I need to hear their faith because it encourages my faith. There are some Sundays where I'm too discouraged to sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness because I'm wondering where it is God in this chaos. But then I start to hear the great saints around me singing Great Is I Faithfulness and my faith increases. I need to be able to have those one-on-one conversations. Look at people in the eye and hear their aches and pains and that i too might be able to have enough faith to encourage them as well Uh, this faith that we are invited into is about a people and we need each other when i was at paznaz i would always say i need you you need me we need you and you need us that we need each other
0: yeah and so another one of the uh of the stories is partisan politics yeah. And you have a line in the book that I, that I love really stood out to me that, that we can get confused oftentimes between what it means to be an American and yeah. what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, Can you unpack that? What, what does that mean? How do we get those confused?
1: Yeah. yeah. To be a Christian is to live in a kingdom in this world but not of this world, to declare that Jesus is Lord. And when we declare that Jesus is Lord, we are also then declaring that no one else is Lord. And so whatever president is in power is not Lord. a flag is not Lord, a country is not Lord. That when we declare that Jesus is Lord, we are declaring that we will live under the agenda, under the reign, and under the rule of Jesus as king and Lord. And oftentimes I see this almost kind of people declaring or believing as though they're they're on they're on equal, ground and equal footing. And we ran into this a lot when I was pastoring at Paznaz. First, let me say, I love America. I'm really grateful to be a citizen of this country. I'm grateful um, for what it affords me as an individual and uh, for the many things that that I get to enjoy in this country. Uh, And so my, my problem isn't America itself. My problem is Christians who blend the two where it's God and country on equal footing, it's um, the Bible um, and the flag, for example, on equal footing, or the independence of America, whatever it might be. Um, As Christians, we've got to be able to filter out um, what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes, sometimes that is going to be radically different than what it means to be an American. And so, my concern is um, you know we have we have folks that that they want to see um on Sunday morning, you know they want to hear um, you know songs about America and they want to hear they want to hear about the you know how great our nation is and how great our country is and I don't disagree with with some of that, uh, however, um we' are declaring that Jesus is Lord above all else, and that we are living and the Lamb's agenda above all else.
0: Hmm. And so it's the blending of the two and putting both on equal footing. That's right. I, I would love to hear how you navigated these. You said you ran into this quite a bit. Uh, can you yeah. give some uh, stories? And you give a few stories in the book, but can you, can you talk about maybe a few examples of how did you navigate these tensions with people?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of patience, a lot of teaching, um, a lot of thick skin because it's it's really, really hard. I remember there was one Sunday I was preaching about idolatry, and I mentioned uh, hypernationalism as, as an idol. And you can always tell when you've bumped up into someone's idol um, by how angry they are after you mention it or call it out as an idol. And so I called it out as an idol, and I unpacked that a little bit, and someone came up to me afterwards, and I mean, his face was just beet red. He was so furious. Um, He couldn't understand how that could be um, idolatry, how that could be, um, um, uh, you know, just uh, the antithesis, I guess, to what it means to be a Christian. And so um, I listened to him. I invited him to meet with me. Uh, He wrote me a very long, angry letter. And we, we continued to have conversation, but it also just sometimes reaches a point where, you know, we've just as pastors, we can't keep going back and forth, back and forth, Um, and so I just continued to preach, and he kept coming every single Sunday, and um, over time, I saw the Lord really begin to do a work in him, and soften him, and our conversations over time really began to soften and open up, and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't go as well as that. I remember the Sunday after the 2016 election, um, I called the church to the communion table, and I acknowledge that we uh, worship as a people. Some people voted for Trump and some people voted for Clinton. Some people voted this way and some people voted this way. And we had individuals that um, got up and walked out while I was preaching. Mm. And actually it it was folks from both sides of the aisle that got up and walked out. We had some people that were just so mad that I would not condemn Trump. We had some people that were so mad um, that I um, gave a nod to those who didn't vote for Trump, to those who were scared, to those who were hurting throughout this. And so there were both sides mad at me. You know, some people wanted me to condemn Trump and some people, you know, wanted me to de- condemn Clinton. Um, and and this is, this is where I get with just even partisan politics that um, I do think we ought to vote the best we can. But when we um wed ourselves with a particular political party we are going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble because we're always going to find ourselves in a place where we are wedded with uh, ways and ideals and, um, and ideology that's just not of the kingdom of god
0: yeah and then and then another story that you say we're root, we can get rooted in is that we can be rooted in success yeah And so what is the view of success that we uh that we've become rooted in
1: yeah, the view of success is um, has a lot to do with what I um, is called the ABCs of the empire: um, attendance, building, cash. Hmm. And you know, if you have a really large church and you have a lot of people, and you're able to do just this massive build, massive building campaign, and you have loads of cash, then you're successful. If you're able to draw a lot, large crowds, then you're successful. And my concern is, is what we've seen is, there's often been some really large churches with a lot of attendance, a big building, and a whole lot of cash. And that's good. And I do think that, you know, mysteriously, God is in that and God is moving and God captivates the hearts of people. And uh, God, God uses things that are just sometimes, you know, mind boggling. And also behind closed doors, turns out there's some pretty corrupt things that are happening. And here we are crowning these pastors as successful when you know they're participating in sex scandals or um, embezzling money or it goes on. And so I'm I'm really concerned about what we have crowned success today. When we have pastors in rural America, we have uh, small church pastors that are living in the straight and narrow and living in the way of faithfulness, and yet by the standards of this world, they may not be called successful.
0: Yeah, so I wonder what is a better definition of success uh, yeah. for the church? Because that is the usual definition—you know, attendance, building, cash—you yeah. know, those sorts of things. What's a better view of of success? Of success, if we even need to use that word?
1: Yeah, I would like to hear the word faithfulness. Yeah, I want to hear about churches that are being faithful—faithful faithful to living out the greatest commandment of loving God with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbors. Uh, Faithful to blessing our communities, faithful to blessing our neighborhoods, um, faithful to to caring for the poor in our midst, uh, faithful to gathering and worshiping, and faithful to living in the ways of God. Uh, And sometimes that means saying no to glitzy and glamorous things that get the attention of the world, but we're called to be a faithful people.
0: Yeah, so if we're going to be faithful the way that you just described— then those measures of faithfulness or success, if we still want to use that word, it's going to look differently from church to church, community to community, correct?
1: Right. It is going to look very, that's right. I mean, we're always, as pastors and practitioners, theological practitioners, we have to contextualize yeah. you know, the work that we're doing. And so for sure, you know, um, churches in, in rural America are going to look different than they are here in Chicago. They're going to look different on the East Coast. They're going to look different in California. And, you know, I've I've had the opportunity to pastor, um, actually, in upstate New York, in the Midwest, and in Southern California. Let me tell you, it's different everywhere. Hmm. Um, It looks very different.
0: Yeah. And so how can we know if we're rooted in one of these stories?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I do think that we need to be able to come up with uh, different metrics Hmm. and and what we measure as uh, faithfulness. You know i think are we what what is our fruit you know it's this is not to be cliche but you know they will know we are christians not by how many people we draw they will know not by how many people are in our building not by our cool fog machines not by our cool coffee shop um not by whether we have a worship pastor um you know that wears skinny jeans or whatever it might be but they'll know we are christians actually by our love you know, I think one measurement, it would be ask neighbors of a, you know, surrounding community, when you think of such and such church, what do you think of? What do you hear? What do you know about them? And I think that would be an interesting measurement.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, one of the things as, as I talk to pastors that I know, church leaders that I know, and then others, um, there's just a lot of things right now that they find discouraging. Uh, you know obviously if if our view of success are the external things well when covid has taken a lot of those away um the politi- politicalization of the church and how politicized everything is in the church just a lot of church leaders are are just discouraged i would love to hear what are ways um, that you stay encouraged even in a season like this in a moment of crisis
1: yeah yeah you know a lot of it is for me personally is mm-hmm. a lot personal care. I've been navigating just an excruciating season since about January of 2020, uh, even pre-COVID. You know, my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer, then my mom Alzheimer's, mm. and then, um, you know, which led to us leaving uh, our beloved church, Paznaz, and coming back to the Midwest, but also, you know, coming off of a tumultuous season of pastoring through COVID and racial tensions and the politicization, I too was discouraged. Um I, I pastored a church where, where we lost hundreds of people. Hundreds of people left the church um, wow. because of my gender. And so there were times where I was just flat on my face, discouraged, weeping, um, praying, you know, for God to help me just to find a way through this. And for me personally, as a pastor, I've learned practices that have been just a wonderful means of grace uh, for me, for my healing, uh, for my wholeness, that I might be grounded and rooted in God's story. And so that includes um, my, my weekly therapy appointment, that includes uh, weekly gatherings with pastors and uh, safe spaces to lament, safe spaces to talk about the places where we are discouraged. Uh, that includes getting out in nature every single morning and even now living. I'm not in the beautiful mountains of Southern California. It was 19 degrees and snowing when I went out and um, walked for four and a half miles. But there's something about that that just grounds me and centers me before the Lord. Um, and then also, you know, just the daily practices of, of reading the scriptures, of praying and reflecting, um, you know, just very simple ways that that I try to stay encouraged.
0: Yeah. And so so what do you think would happen if, if moving forward, the church doesn't make any significant changes and we just tend to stay in what's led to the moment of crisis? Yeah. What do you see the future might be?
1: Yeah, well, I think that there's going, so this, this is what I believe, I believe that there are going to be denominations and churches that are going to continue to root themselves in the wrong storyline, what I call Mm -hmm. in this book, they're going to root themselves in the wrong storyline. And that's going to continue to create these, these deformed trees um, that aren't this radiant witness that we're called to be. I think eventually they'll decay, um, that the trees are going to come toppling down. But I also believe that there are new expressions already growing. Um, There are churches that are rooted in God's radiant story. There are churches that are flourishing. And so I think at the same time, you know, that it's gonna go down to that stump uh, that Isaiah talks about, that it talks about in Isaiah. Um, But then new things are going to burst forth. And so there absolutely are going to be um, pastors and churches and organizations and denominations and systems that uh, it's gonna be a slow decay or the trees are gonna come toppling down. And we're seeing some of that trees topple down. Um, But I also believe that there are new swine skins and that there are new um, expressions already bursting forth. You know, the gates of hell won't prevail. They just won't. Uh, I believe that from my bones. And so I really believe that um, as some some come toppling down, that there are going to be Faithful people in this world that are going to be living in the faithful way, living and rooting themselves in God's story, shining a bright and radiant witness.
0: And so, what do you think are some steps forward in that direction? You know, you you talked earlier about about what a radiant church looks like, what it is. So, what are some steps forward uh, for churches?
1: Yeah, churches I think need to uh, begin with the practice of looking in the mirror, mm. um, of simply saying. Okay, let's get honest. Where have we gone wrong. What systems are we participating in what storylines have we rooted ourselves in and actually just boldly and very vulnerably open themselves up search my heart. Oh God, you know, it's that um, That prayer of examine, but a corporate prayer of examine of search my heart. Oh God. Uh, And what ways have we done this? And we also need to hear from those. It's, you know, examine doesn't just happen, you know, in a silo of let us look and don't listen, but we actually need to hear from the people that we've hurt. We need to hear from people of color. We need to hear from women. Uh, We need to hear from people that have been hurt from the church and actually listen and say, why? How have we hurt you? Um, Where have we gone wrong? And then we need to lament. We need to lament a lot. We need to do a lot of corporate lamenting we need to confess Um, and we need to do the kind of confession that forces us to look at our systems and actually repent and perhaps just do away with the old systems and start fresh or um, repent and you know just change from our ways Um, and even from there then move to you know this just this desire um, to partner with God and the God of restoration, to partner with God and the God of redemption, to partner with God and the God of reconciliation, of of naming our wrongs and making them right.
0: Yeah. I would love to hear, what would you say to the person that's listening to this and, or watching? And, you know, they do have that individualistic view of their faith and they're, they they might be thinking, oh, well, yeah, the church is, the church is in trouble, but, but I'm not my faith in Jesus is fine yeah. my my faith is rooted yeah. and and they almost see themselves as as followers of Jesus but distinct from the church yeah and and what would you say to that person today
1: yeah you know it's interesting it's uh it this is what it comes down to when when we talk about race as well you know we hear it well I I'm not a racist. Sure, maybe racism exists in this world, but I'm not a racist. And this is where, you know, just a lot of tension happens. And I think it all comes down to, again, just this very individualistic view of this life instead of saying, well, you know, we are part of systems in this world. And so how can we name and, you know, um, and see and open our eyes to see the ways that we might participate in some of these systems? And so, you know, even when it comes to the church, sure, um, we may not. You know, our faith or my individual faith may not be toxic, but how are we reaping uh, from the better? How are we benefiting um, from, you know, some of these systems in this world? And how can we say, you know what, we need to do something different. We need to uh, allow for the spirit to show us something different. Um, you know, and, and God could be calling someone to go, you know, to their pastor or to go with a group of pastors and say, you know how can we how can we begin this journey of repentance of turning away and naming the systems?
0: Yeah, and Terabeth, I want to I want to honor your time, but one of the concepts that you talk about in your book that I really enjoyed is uh, you talk about how the church is a preview of the future. That's right. And so, can you unpack that? What, what's what does that mean that the church is a preview of the future?
1: Yes. Yeah. So, in the Book of Revelation, we have this beautiful image of the new heaven and the new earth of the new Jerusalem. And we see that, you know, at the end of Revelation, it says there will be no more tears.
0: Mm.
1: There will be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more pain. We could go on. There's going to be, no more cancer, there's gonna be no more Alzheimer's, there's gonna be no more poverty, there's gonna be no more starvation, there's going to be no more racism, uh, there's gonna be no more sexual exploitation, there's gonna be no longer, you know, we could just keep going down the list. And one of the things that we often see with our, uh, this is maybe a big word for some listeners, but eschatology, our, our end times theology, is, is believing, well, that's someday Someday God is just gonna whisk me away from this world. But actually what we are called to do as the people of God in Christ is, are we are to look at that future, that world of no mores, of no more disunity, of no more pain, of no more sorrow. And we're, we're supposed to say, you know what? Let's allow that to impinge on the present. Hmm. Let's allow that to shape how we live now. Because if someday there's gonna be no more racism, well, what are we gonna do right now to create a world of no more racism? If someday there's going to be no more war, well, then what are we going to do right now to be persons and people of peace, of peacemaking? If someday there's going to be no more division, well, what am I going to do right now then in my church to be uh, a person who brings about reconciliation and healing in my church? And we could go on. Mm -hmm. And then when we do that, we are to give the world a foretaste of this promise and revelation of this future vision in this world, that the, that the people would be able to get taste heaven. They would be able to taste the future and they would be able to taste it and see it and know that it is good.
0: Yeah. Well, Tara Beth, this, uh, this is such a book that the church needs to dive into. We haven't even scratched the surface of everything you talk about in, and I'm just so thankful that you are releasing it out there. How can people uh, connect with you and, and also, uh, purchase the book.
1: Yeah, thanks. So I'm on, you know, all the social media channels on Facebook, Tara Beth Leach, you can find me on there. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram handles are Tara Beth 82. Uh, and of course, you can pre-purchase the book on Amazon, Radiant Church, or you could find my former book, uh, Emboldened, A Vision for Empowering Women in Ministry, also on Amazon.
0: And we'll have links to all that in the show notes, all, all of those books and social media, your website, and all of that. Tara Beth, this has been great. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks, Mark. So appreciate it. Blessings to you.
0: I'm so thankful for Tara Beth's voice and being willing to come on the podcast to talk about Radiant Church. The job of restoring the witness of the church is something that every church, no matter what the context is, has got to think about what will that look like for us to restore the witness of the church in the context where God has put us. And so it was such an honor to talk to Terabeth. Terabeth, thank you so much for coming on the program. And don't forget, you can jump into the show notes and go ahead right now and pre-order Terabeth's book, Radiant Church. Hey, I would love to know what you thought about today's episode. Let us know on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can connect with us there. We'd love to keep the conversation going. And next Tuesday, we'll be back with a brand new episode. Next Tuesday, we're talking to Erwin Entz. Last year, Erwin released a book called The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at its Best. And it was a great conversation Uh, that we had with Erwin. I can't wait for you to hear it next Tuesday. So go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget also, we have a YouTube channel. You can watch all of our interviews. Go to YouTube, look up the Churchology Podcast, and they're all there for you to watch. Hey, have a great week. We'll be back next Tuesday with the Churchology Podcast.